coming up. Pale blue eyes, silky thighs, and a woman gets psychoanalyzed. Also, usual shit, an exorcism, cooking tips, drunken revelry, spoilers, bad language. All this ridiculous and more on this here episode of Kiss the Goat. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. I'm Cootie. And my name is X, and this is... Kiss Kiss the the Goat. Goat. Welcome once again to the online shrine of Satanic Cinema. Please keep your arms and legs inside the circle until the show has come to a complete stop. No flash photography or laser pointers, please. And any unauthorized distribution of this podcast is forbidden without the express written permission of Willis Wheeler. This is episode 43 of Kiss the Goat, and welcome to it. Throw your hands in the air, weigh them around like you are completely unconcerned about the consequences of your actions, and take a drink to the memory of the patron anti-saint of Kiss the Goat, Cindy Sin Fallon. I was raised by wolves. (laughs) (laughs) This is the original sin. Cindy Sin Fallon. We've got a big show lined up for you guys as we dig up an obscure Italian thriller for tonight's movie. What? An Italian movie? There's a fucking shock. Actually, the show's probably normal sized, but what do I know? I'm a poor judge of length. I know you want me to make that joke. I'm not doing it. Uh. Anyway, we're ready to jump into the madness, the craziness, <laughs> the commercial. Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. <laughs> the truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. That's gotta go. <laughs> That's gotta go in there. So on the show, uh, we talk about giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I am Brad, the guy that's not Richard, or Jeffrey, or Simon. That's right. We have four people, and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon-exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? (laughs) We got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? 
We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow. We're casting out demons, kids. Gather around for the hucksterish healing hands of heaven. It's time to get your exercise. It's the power of Christ that compels you. The power of Christ compels you. That the power of Christ compels you. 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 Are you sick? Are you miserable? Are you crippled? You my kind of people. This exorcism by Pastor T.B. Joshua in South Africa is actually relatively calm. It's because it's an assist. Someone else has already done the heavy casting. Mm-hmm. A guy named Wise Man Christopher sets it up, and TB Joshua spikes it. But the reason that I enjoy this one is because of the back and forth between TB Joshua and the possessed woman. It's like a Seinfeld skit. <laughs> it is. Also, wait for the sick burn she throws down on her husband. I'll confess. I'm a destroyer. I'll send to destroy him. The husband carry her here. That is why she's still alive. I've not been feeling fine. I'm in a cage. The white man Christopher chained me. I was sitting there. I don't know, something touched me before I turned. I discovered that I'm inside a chain. I start smelling blood everywhere. They have just chained me inside a box. You are inside a box. Uh, my heart, they have removed my heart yesterday. How did the white man touch you? I was just standing, looking at this, all breathing. I heard something on my head before I came. I discovered that this is a cage. How does this cage look like? It's a box, a small box. Before the husband brought her here to come and testify that uh, he wants a baby, this baby, I'm going to deliver it. I put maybe about four babies inside the, 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 the womb. The time she wants to deliver, I know that that's the time she will die. Before the husband said they should come to snap. Now you are inside the cage now. I'm inside the cage and I say I want to go. Since I've been telling them, say okay, I want to go. They are refusing. Before they touched you, you were not in the cage. I was not in the cage. I was feeling fine. But now you are inside the cage. I'm inside the cage. The wise man touched me and caged me. I'm in a cage. Are you in a cage? I'm in a cage. Are you in a cage? I'm in a cage. Where are you? I'm in a cage. Uh, who are you? I'm a giant man. Giant man where? I'm a giant man from the river. They refuse to give me food. No oh, matter. my head. Yeah, fire. They should bring me ice block. Let me pour on my head. They refuse. What can we do for you now? I want people to bring me. Just open the cage. I will just go. I'm going to my How do we free you now? Where is the key? Just open. Where is the key? Open. I don't know. Okay, come here. Wise man, Christopher, please. Is that not the one? Yes, it's the man that put me inside the cage and left me and ran away. Why do you put this woman inside the cage and run away? So I do the spirit in her that is in the cage. I have five powers. One in my vagina. I'll make him to be weak. 
<laughs> he has a weak erection. Damn, demon, that's cold. And her husband's like, man, you have to tell the entire congregation. The one in my eyes, if I look at any man, the man will be lost over me. The one under my leg is the strongest. Who is this man? The man said he wants to marry me. But well, he loves you. No, I don't want him to love my wife. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command the demon in you. Come out in the name of Jesus Christ. Come out in the name of Jesus. Fire, fire. They took care yesterday and the baby. Yesterday was her 30th birthday. I thought she would not stay more than 30 years. The birth of end. Jesus Christ. I, Come out in the name of Jesus. I, Come out in the name of Jesus. I, oh. In Jesus' name, never again enter this body. In Jesus' name. Now she's delivered. Let's see what she will now say now. One of God, TV Joshua. Come, come. This is the one that gave you uniform. It's wise man. Wise man, Christopher. Yeah. What happened to uniform? You were in the cage. No. no. Who is this man? Okay. Is your husband? Yes. If your husband, kiss him. But you are saying it's not your husband that you have one husband. No. It's my husband. Never find yourself in any cage. No. Where you are asking for people to help you. Praise the Lord. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. I was just kidding about his dick, y'all. It's it's fine. It's fine. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And there you have it. Another satisfied customer. Look, people. Be aware. Exorcists are everywhere. Yep. Don't get suckered by these sick fuckers. These people do not care about the folks they heal. They care about putting on a show. It's all about power, it's about spectacle, and it's about money. Your money. You might as well just give your money to us. At least you'll get something tangible from it. Right? Exactly. Hey, this is X from Kiss the Goat. Do you know we have a website called KissTheGoat.com? You know what's at KissTheGoat.com? Tell them, cutie. Did you know that you can buy Kiss the Goat t-shirts? And bottle caps and mugs and other apparel to show your support for your favorite podcast at kissthegoat.com. Tell me more. <laughs> well, you can go to kissthegoat.com and click on Wear the Goat, and you will see a vast selection of apparel and accessories that you can purchase with your favorite podcast logo. Wear the Goat. Where the goat? Oh, he's at kissthegoat.com. <laughs> They're the goat. This is a distress call from across time and space. I am Babs, the automated biological support system for the humanoid known as the witch. Which versus the Doomsday Clock is the weekly chronicle of his fight for survival and entertainment on the junk heap of the future. Episodes are transmitted in 15-minute pulses across the dimensional divide weekly for your listening pleasure. As you will learn, the future is not set in stone, 
and a flux capacitor is a girl's best friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Come join the rest of the Meat Popsicles in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash vs the Doomsday Clock. The replicant known as Witch can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr and Instagram by searching for T-H-E-W-Y-C-H. The Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Now in the words of Lord Humongous. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. You have crossed every barrier to reality. You are beyond its limits. And you'll never see it again. They're coming to get you. 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 I'm always certain that someone is after me. Someone from my past. From something that happened in my childhood. Do believe in this sort of thing. All that and much more. They exist. They're coming to get you. They bear the mark of the devil inside them. But they're coming to get you. offers herself. Free her from fear. Drink this and you will be free. sweetheart. They're coming to get you. They may even be your children. They're coming to get you. They cannot be exorcised. They're coming to get you. This is their time. The Book of Doomsday foretold their coming. Mitchell, Johnson, take charge of the girl. Are you prepared for the motion picture that proves they're coming to get you? from Independent International. You cannot possibly renounce us. Welcome back to Kiss the Goat. And you've just heard the trailer for this episode's movie, 1971's All the Colors of the Dark. Also known as Day of the Maniac, or the incredibly well thought out, They're Coming to Get You. (laughs) You guys know we love the Italian movies here at KTG, and you might be tempted to think that this one is a giallo flick. It's not a giallo. It's not a giallo. Not all Italian horror movies are giallo. 
Jelly are more straightforward mysteries, and there's usually a black gloved killer and straight razor murders, and usually a foreigner who gets kind of pulled into the mystery that the audience takes their point of view. And this movie has none of that. Exactly. But there are murders and weird dream sequences and a creepy cult. All this is true, but not a giallo film, just an Italian supernatural horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is directed by the woefully underrated Sergio Martino, which is director of X's favorite giallo, The Sister of Ursula. It is so sleazy. It is. <laughs> and it's also starring two of X's favorite Italian actresses. Edwidge Fennec and Susan Scott. Exactly. So what's not to love? Well, let's find out, shall we? First of all, the thing to remember at the very beginning of this is that Sergio Martino, the director of this, is a fucking sleaze master. Um, if you've seen The Sister of Ursula, you've, you've seen some shit. And um, if you haven't, you should. Oh, holy gods. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure if it had been released in the U.S. properly, somebody would have renamed it the Dildo Murders, because that's... That would be accurate. exactly what it is. Completely accurate. This one kind of... It's restrained, really, as far as a Martino flick goes, I think. It is. I think that... Yeah, really, the sexuality is not that overt. Not what you would expect, especially from a guy who did The Sister of Ursula. All right. Starts off with a fucked-up dream sequence, though. (laughs) Yes, there's a lot of fucked up dream sequences in this movie. But yeah, right out of the gate, fucked up dream dream sequence. There's a dude with the worst pale blue contact lenses you will ever see in your life. They are steely, steely (laughs) blue eyes. Is that what you call that shade? Well, even though the contacts look like they're made out of wood. They're like he, he took the top of an Easter egg off and just popped it on his pupils. Blue eyes, like a doll's eyes. <laughs> yeah, and then there's that creepy fucking old woman just like in her fishnet white gloves. Oh, the fairy godmother with the that, black yeah. teeth rotting out of her head? Doing like interpretive dance. And there's a pregnant woman who looks like she's wearing an Afro wig. Yeah, and she keeps massaging her belly with blood. I don't I don't know if that helps with stretch marks or what. <laughs> but she does. So <laughs> it's the bathery method. I think that's what they call that. It's an old Italian wives still. Right. And there's scissors and there's stabbing and everybody's dead, including this brunette on a bed who's not Edwidge, which Fennec, which is strange. There's a clock face on the floor. I mean, what the shit is this? What the fuck? Yeah, nobody really knows. And then the whole dream ends with a black and white car crash. Mm-hmm. Anyway, obviously, it's a dream. It's Edwidge Fennec's dream. Her character name is Jane. Again, really well thought out there. But it's uh, a lot easier to pronounce than Edwidge. Let's talk about horror actresses from the 70s. Edwidge, I think, is the most discordistest of all. I, th- I just think she's amazing. Mm-hmm. She wakes up from this dream, and she takes a shower with her clothes on. <laughs> Do you know that it's white a... white clothes are translucent when they're wet? You can see right through that shit. I should say it's a white nighty. And at first, when she first steps in the shower, I was like, uh, you still got your clothes on. And then after like two seconds, I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> 
Uh, Jane's boyfriend comes home. His name is Richard. And Richard's all pissed off because Jane didn't take her pills. So he dissolves them in water and makes her drink them. Now, these are blue pills. And it literally looks like Easter egg dye. Speaking of Easter eggs, yeah, it looks like she's straight up drinking a couple of Paws tablets. She begs him not to leave. But he's got a business trip, so he at least stays until she falls asleep. And then she tries to have, like, really slow, pale sex with him, but she has a hallucination of being stabbed. Which... A waking nightmare. Yeah. That's horrible. And this is a recurring thing throughout this movie is her simpering and begging Dick not to leave and him saying, oh, but I have work, honey. And then her freaking out because of some kind of nightmare that she's having with her eyes open lots of separation anxiety in this movie yeah so the next morning richard goes to work her baby takes the morning train and um (laughs) jane wants to go to visit the psychotherapist that her sister barbara works for but richard doesn't believe in psychotherapy thinks it's all quackery hogwash yep right now this is when we find out that jane has lost a baby recently i mean i don't mean like like in a shopping mall i mean she was carrying (laughs) The baby, and then she had the car crash, and then she lost the baby that way. But Richard insists that there's no reason for her to talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Therapy's just quackery. We also, this is also when we find out that the blue dissolvable pills he's been giving her are just vitamins. Yeah. Like, <laughs> girl is having straight up eyes awake nightmare hallucinations, and he thinks vitamins are going to fix it. You really need some B12, honey. <laughs> Just keep taking showers until you feel better. With that white nighty on. Preferably. <laughs> now, her sister, Barbara, gives her kind of conflicting advice. Richard's giving her vitamins, but her sister says that some vitamins are dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's obviously why they put them in cereal. Um, Barbara <laughs> sets Jane up with an appointment with her ther- with the therapist. His name is Dr. Burton. So while she's waiting for her appointment with Dr. Burton... Jane sees a guy in the waiting room with the same blue eyes like she saw in her dream. Uh-oh. And then we have another dream sequence. The guy with the blue eyes is wearing this awesome trench coat, so it's kind of like Columbo, only Columbo's carrying a ceremonial dagger. Mm. He's got the scarred face. He's got, no, like I said, the, the blue eyes. There's that naked woman who doesn't appear to be Jane again, but that's because it's Jane's mother. Dun, dun, dun. Her mother was murdered when she was five or seven. Not sure. <laughs> Pro- so maybe six. I think I think six. There um, you go. That's a good compromise. Right. So she talks about how she lost a baby in the car accident, and now she's frigid, and she feels guilty about it because she thinks everything is her fault. And Doc Burton asks her if she ever feels like she's living out her dreams. <laughs> And I guess not like in an inspirational sort of way. (laughs) No. So she talks about the blue-eyed man who was that on the waiting room. And the doctor says, I don't make my patients sit together. That's ridiculous. So apparently he has basically no patient load whatsoever. (laughs) Right. Nobody ever shows up early. He's never running late. He's got 14 wait. He's got the entire top floor of a building. Just 14 waiting rooms. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. One person each in them. It's ridiculous. (laughs) So the doctor's like, nope, there was nobody here. But then Barbara comes in and says, oh, no, there was a guy here. He said he was waiting for you, but then he had to leave. So 
apparently fuck office policy if Barbara's around. <laughs> Barbara knows best. Right. So the doctor tells Jane to stop taking the vitamins. He says, you're healthy. You don't need them. <laughs> Probably I, the first time a doctor has ever said that. Right? However, here's a here's some ranch dressing in a cup with some tannis root in it. You'll be fine. I don't understand what the mm. hell's going on here. So Jane leaves there. She goes down to the tube, the underground rail, railroad sort of thing. She's a temple station. And when she's on the train, there's this terrible family who's on there with her. And they just talk and talk and talk. And the little kid's like, I want to go see this movie. And Granny's like, I'll take you to the movie. And the parents are like, you can't see that movie. It's terrible violence. So we can't have you watching this violent, terrible thing. So finally, they fucking leave. And she's alone on the train, except for the man with the blue eyes. And that was a weird bit, too. Like, was it really necessary to have this entire conversation with the family there on the train? No! (laughs) It's a weird transition. It's kind of drawn out. She gets off the train at the next stop, and she runs. Jane runs and runs and runs. And she runs off the train before old blue eyes can get to her. And then she stops running, and she's walking through the park. And she thinks maybe someone's following her. She keeps looking around and shuffling her feet through the leaves. Is someone following her? No, he's in front of her, and it's little blue eyes again. She asks him very politely not to follow her. Please don't follow me. And then she runs home. She has a hard time unlocking the door when she gets home, but her new neighbor, Mary. Mm, Mary. Mary. <laughs> let's her in. Mary invites Jane in for tea. No, it's not what you think. Sadly. Uh, Mary's a little weird. Mary is a little weird, yeah. She's overtly sexual. She serves Jane tea, uh, braless. She's got a choker on. Mm-hmm. Lovely, lovely little dress on that's cut down to the navel. You can see lots of front side boob. Mm-hmm. Um, Jane invites Richard over. Well, they, she says everybody should have dinner together, and Mary's like, no, I don't really want to meet your dumbass boyfriend. He's got to go to work anyway. So Jane and Mary make plans for lunch and shopping, and Mary looks like she wants to eat Jane. She does. In every conceivable way. <laughs> With some nice fava beans. Yeah, right, and a side of lube. <laughs> Jane gets a call from a lawyer, and this lawyer wants to meet her the next afternoon. And while she's talking to the lawyer, she burns dinner. She opens up a window to let the smoke out. I think she just, like, throws the skillet with the burned food, like, down into the road. She doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. It's just eggs. Just throw the whole thing out. So while she's looking outside, she sees old blue eyes walking towards her building. So then she runs downstairs and goes out. Well, she goes out the front door of her apartment. And, yes, he's coming up the steps. So the door closes behind her. She locks herself out of the apartment, which is awesome. (laughs) Way to go, Jane. She goes up the stairs to the roof, but the emergency exit is locked. So she's fucked. She pushes the elevator button, and the elevator starts to come up. And Richard comes off the elevator, and the guy she thought was old blue eyes is not. It's just some other guy who lives there visiting his girlfriend. Yeah, but you got to take a step back, too, and talk about the call from the attorney, because it was really weird. Like, he's all like, Jane? And she's like, yes, who is this? I'm a solicitor. I need to meet with you. Come to my office tomorrow. And she's like, wait, what is it about? (laughs) No, I just need you to come. It's urgent. And he doesn't answer any of her fucking questions and then hangs up. 
And Jane's all like, oh, well, I guess I better go see this lawyer. I don't know. There's nothing suspicious about this at all. And that's something that needs to be addressed, too, is Jane is probably not the smartest girl you've ever seen in a movie. She's a bit naive. She's kind of a child woman person. Yeah, like you, like this girl was raised in isolation and protected, and then she got kicked out into the wide blue world, and Richard picked her up, and he's been doing everything for her ever since. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, Richard and Barbara have a conversation in which Barbara is changing clothes and is just butt naked. So thanks for that boobs. Um, and Richard's watching, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please. Of course he is. Now, Barbara still has some kind of ownership, um, issues over Jane. And she insists that Jane will keep seeing Dr. Burton. They both agree that Jane's a little bit, uh, touched. Yeah. A little touched. Mm. And they blame each other for Jane's problem, so it's not really a productive conversation. Meanwhile, the next day, Jane's out with Mary, and they're walking around in the park like they do a lot. Mm-hmm. Mary suggests that Jane's problems can be solved if she only just comes with Mary to a black mass. Well, yeah, you know, Mary's just trying to be helpful. Nothing cures everything quite like a black mass. Right? Works for us. Mm. Well, she goes, um, she has an appointment with that solicitor, who may or may not be a solicitor, who just calls and, you know, doesn't answer any questions. Goes to see him, goes up to his office, only to find old Blue Eyes is back, and he's wielding a tiny hatchet. Tries to chop her head off. With a tiny hatchet. It is a tiny hatchet. It's like a garden hatchet. This is like a bonsai hatchet. <laughs> I have some tiny limbs to get off of a tiny tree. <laughs> I'm going to use my tiny hatchet. I need my tiny axe. <laughs> so she runs downstairs to her car. Hey, the car doesn't start. won't start. She keeps cranking it and cranking it. Goes, fuck the battery. Health and start. What? And it doesn't start until Old Blue Eyes actually touches it. It's like he's right there about to get her, and then the car starts, which makes me wonder, is he magic? Black magic. Is he, like, automotive magic? If he touches cars, they just automatically start? Dude, we got to practice that one. Because that's badass. Especially with the cars we drive. Mary's pissed off that they're going to be late for the Black Mass, but Jane insists that they go anyway. You know, I've just been chased and attacked by a guy with a tiny hatchet. Let's go meet those Satanist friends of yours. Well, she wants to be free, which is what Mary keeps promising her. That's right. The Black Mass will will make her free. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the Black Mass is in a swinging castle with long stairs and witch towers. It's beautiful. It's a groovy scene, too, man. People of all shapes and sizes, and they're wearing face paint. The high priest kind of looks like Franco Nero is Django. He's got this gigantic eyeball pendant and Mm -hmm. long blue fake nails and Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's, just all kinds of mod devil accoutrement. It's a thing of beauty. It is. Everything's really cool Um, until they kill that puppy. Poor little puppy. At least he turns his back and we don't have to watch him stab it in the throat. That's true. Anyway, yeah, kill a puppy. Drain his blood into a chalice. 
so for a black mask. Right. And of course Jane doesn't want to see the puppy get killed, so she buries her face in the Mary's tits. Oh, that's what I would do. So they pass around the cup of dog's blood and they all take a drink. Now you would think a big ass coven like this would have a refreshments committee. <laughs> no. Dog blood, think... no crackers. <laughs> no cream sandwich cookies. Nothing. Not even the cheap-ass, like, iced oatmeal cookies. Nothing like that. Just dog blood. I think that should have been on the invitation. <laughs> Bring cookies. Bring something. Good lord. If you're not going to have a pot luck, have, like, a cauldron luck, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> the HP... Uh, tells Jane, drink this and you will be free. And then the HP rips Jane's clothes off and kisses her. So does Mary. <laughs> and so, so does everybody else. So does everybody else in the coven. Now look, this is the kind of shit they warn you about in Paganism 101. <laughs> if it's your first night and the people you're with kill a dog and then pass you around like a fleshlight? You are in the wrong coven. Time to go. Time to go. So all this madness is playing in her head while she's having sex with Richard that night. And at long last, she comes. It's her first orgasm in months. Bless her. Right? And Richard just says, everything's back to normal, isn't it, Jane? <laughs> Because that's the bar. That's <laughs> that's the standard for normality. I made you come, didn't I? Yep, I'm still huge. It's all about me. I based normality on me and what I can make you do. But Jane still feels weird. Like, nothing's real. She's like, are you real? Am I real? Is this real? Is anything? Is anything real? So she's still <laughs> fucked up. Doesn't matter. Jane and Richard go out to lunch the next day, and she says, well, I'm not going to be seeing Dr. Burton anymore because I had an orgasm last night. Ah, good for you. Well, Richard has to work. He leaves to make a phone call, and while she's waiting for him to come back, it's before cell phones, of course, so he's, it's pay phones. So before, um, while she's waiting for him to come back, she looks out the window, and oh, shit, guess who's there? Old blue eyes. Old blue eyes. So she runs. Jane runs away. Jane runs a lot. I don't know why the fuck, and I said this while we were watching the movie, but why the fuck would you leave a crowded restaurant in the middle of the day when you know your husband's coming back or your fiance's coming back to run away from this dude who's been stalking you? And it's not even running away from. She's basically running towards yeah, she the runs guy into, who's been like, stalking her. Empty street. Like, nobody's out there. Everybody's in the restaurant. We're going to leave. Yeah, I don't get it either. Again, Jane, not smart. Not smart. So she splits down the stairs, grabs a taxi, doesn't tell Richard she's going, doesn't tell him where she's going. She just disappears. Now, if I were Richard, I'd have been pissed. <laughs> I'd have been like, look, we already ordered this goddamn food. I ain't bringing it home to you. You had your shot no <laughs> so once she gets home um she's looking at the table and there's a book on the table about satanism and magic and witchcraft and it's one of richard's books so now she's even more paranoid he's just like oh i thought that'd be a fun read 
picked it up at the used bookstore. Like you do. Got that. A couple of Danielle Steele paperbacks. You know, just light bathroom reading. <laughs> so now she's even more paranoid. So, of course, she goes back to the Black Mass castle that night because these guys have a Black Mass every night, apparently. You know, fuck Sabbaths. Fuck Cross Quarters. Doesn't matter. We do this every night. Well, you know, when you can trip on acid and drink dog's blood and fuck everybody in the room, that seems like a groovy thing to do on most nights. <laughs> this was the 70s. It was swinging London. You could have done that at Tesco at that, at that point in time. <laughs> this time, Jane, having been freed the night before, apparently, she just willingly strips down and offers herself to the coven to free herself from fear. So she's banging the high priest whose, whose beard seems to get even pointier as, as the film goes on. I, I don't know. Anyway, she's freeing herself from fear, which it's, I guess that's easier than admitting that she likes it. Yeah. And Mary just stands there with the rest of the people watching the high priest bone Jane on a stone altar. Now look, I'm not against that. I just think Beth should be comfortable. <laughs> not stone altars. They're cold. At least give the chick a pillow or something. Right? But I mean, no. You get gravel in your ass. It's just mm-hmm. not. Anyway, since Mary brought Jane to the coven, uh, the high priest tells Jane that now she has to kill Mary. I guess there's a like a limit to how many people could be in the castle, like fire marshal. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, you know, they've reached their quota, and Mary brought Jane in, so now Mary has to go. But Mary's into it. She wants to be stabbed with a ceremonial dagger. And Jane's like, I don't want to kill you. And Mary's like, no, you need to set me free. You're free. Now I have to be free. And for me, being free means I have to die. So Mary pretty much just falls onto the dagger while Jane's holding it. Yeah. So Jane's not really a murderer. It's more like... Suicide assist. Furniture? Yeah. It's like a dagger holder, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like a candle mm-hmm. holder, except it's a dagger. So Jane wakes up. Again, is this real? Is it real? Am I real? Was that real? She wakes up fully clothed, with, I think, different clothes than she had on the night before, actually, mm-hmm. in the field in front of the mansion. So she's not sure what she's done. She doesn't know where she's been. She's just kind of hanging out being sexy, because Edward Finch is sexy. And then she's grabbed by old Blue Eyes, and he's all like, now you're one of us. And she takes his hand, and she allows him to lead her back into the castle, because he says that she is expected, like the high priest is, is looking for. So, and they go inside. Mary's blood is still on the floor, and she looks into that great big blue eyeball that's the focal point of their worship. It's the same one the high priest is wearing. Um, it, it's, it's actually kind of an important eyeball, really. <laughs> Anyway, the, the, the high priest comes out, and he kind of looks like Peter O'Toole in the ruling class at this point. So, kind of like half Jesus. It's really strange. So, was she drugged? Was it a dream? She's fragile, damn it, and she doesn't know what the answer is. But the high priest says that she'll be protected by the coven. Mary's free. Jane's her replacement. Uh, the high priest still has Mary's body wrapped up in black lace, so it looks like maybe Jane really did kill her, or at least help. So, guess what Jane does? She runs away. She runs away! (laughs) Much running! 
Now, the high priest, realizing that Jane has run away, does the smart thing, and he actually releases the hounds to chase her down. She's deep in the woods. She's got her excellent go-go boots on, and the dogs attack, and they bite, and they claw, until they're finally called off her by old Blue Eyes, who chloroforms her. (laughs) And she wakes up back in her own bed. Yeah, none of this makes any fucking sense. They keep telling her, you can't denounce us, you're one of us, and she just runs away, and then they end up... I mean, why do you chloroform her and send her back home if you want to keep her at the castle? I don't understand. Is it real? Am I real? Is the coven real? Is the castle real? I don't know. (laughs) So she wakes up, she gets up, she opens the window. Richard has left her a note on the mirror in lipstick. What?! It's so romantic. No. no. <laughs> first of all, if I left you a note on our bathroom mirror and lipstick, your first thought would be, why couldn't you use a post-it note? <laughs> the fuck, dude? I have like two tubes of lipstick. Why are you writing on the mirror with one of them? Do you know how hard this shit is to clean up? <laughs> You're an asshole. So while she's trying to wipe the lipstick note off the mirror with her bare hand, which, you know, that just smears it. You're not helping. But that's when she notices that she's been tattooed with the eye symbol. A tattoo. A tattoo. (laughs) So Jane goes to Mary's place looking for Mary for some reason. We know Mary's dead. We know Jane helped. But there's someone else living there now, some old woman with glaucoma. She says she's been there for like a month. So now Jane thinks she's crazy again. Maybe she is. We don't know. Is it real? Is that real? She's just chugging J&B back at her place. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure J&B will give you hallucinations. I, If you can down enough of it, I am convinced it would give you hallucinations. I'm convinced it would just eat a hole through your fucking face. That stuff is terrible makes me shudder just thinking about it right that's what that is the worst shot i've ever taken in my life was that shot of jnb and that was years ago it's bad what were we thinking well you know a lot of the movies we love have jnb in it and we were like hey let's try some of that yeah if it's good for them it must be amazing yeah no yeah richard calls on the phone he says he'll be back on the first available train because he's working He's always, he's the one with the problem. Mm-hmm. He's and, running away, too. That's right. Anyway, old Blue Eyes is there in the middle of the street watching her apartment, so she's trapped. Guess that psychiatry seems like a really good idea now, huh? Yep. Jane tries to call Barbara, but there's no answer. She's out of town, so she calls the doctor's office, gets his answering service. The woman's finally like, okay, fine, Jesus, I will get the doctor on the line for you if you will shut the fuck up. Hmm. <laughs> You just keep babbling and screaming and talking. Talk to Doc Burton. I don't get paid enough for this shit. So Jane tells the doctor, hey, old Blue Eyes is here. He's real and it's not a dream. This is really happening. So he sends his nurse to get her to bring her to the office. So they're talking and Jane says she's done with Sergio, treats her like a rag doll. And then there's this bright light outside of her front door window. It's like her living room is bathed in this red light. She's being attacked by Dario Argento, obviously. Now, that's a joke. Now, she's a little crazy right now. So there's red lights over here and everything's all crazy. Old blue eyes 
comes into the apartment. Now, Jane is kneeling by the bed. She's a little drunk. She's a little scared. She's sucking down that J&B way too fast. Yep. Old Blue Eyes stabs her, or at least tries to. She catches his wrist, and he disappears. Again, he's not there. What kind of magical mind fuckery is this? <laughs> so this is where shit goes, starts to go really south and batshit crazy. Er. Bat south. Bat south. Bat. Shit south. Crazy. Yes. Crazy. crazy. Dirty south. Dirty south. <laughs> <laughs> she cuts her hand on a lamp that she's broken. Now, she's got to know that she looks suspect at this point. <laughs> You know, you can't take a look around at all the shit she's been doing and go, oh, no, this is completely normal behavior. So she goes and checks the street looking for old blue eyes. There's nobody there. Doc Burton's nurse comes and get her. She goes off with Doc Burton. Doc Burton tells her that her that her tattoo is a Jewish symbol used in black magic or wizardry. Because the Jews do a lot of that. Lots of Jewish wizards. <laughs> Have fun storming the castle. Maybe Paul Heyman. I don't know. He says that all she needs is dreamless sleep. So he gives her some pills, and she doesn't want to take them. And the doc says, fine, whatever. I'll get you out of this situation because I am taking an abnormally personal interest in you as my patient. Well, she is haughty. That's true. So he drives her away in his car, and they make small talk. But he ends up taking her to his country house. I guess it's like a psychiatric safe house. I don't know why you would have this. The German housekeepers take her in and they make up a room for her. Meanwhile, Richard has come home and Jane's not there, but there's a letter for her, which Richard just kind of tosses aside like mail. <laughs> Richard then calls Barbara. Is Jane there? No, Jane isn't here. Um, but I'll find out if she's with Dr. Burton, because again, that's such the normal thing to do. So Jane wakes up the next morning in the country house. It's a lovely place. It's a nice estate. She kind of yells for the housekeepers, but they don't respond. So she explores the house. She's looking for them. And in the kitchen, the tea kettle is boiling, and the housekeepers are sitting at the kitchen table, but they're not moving <laughs> because they're dead. <laughs> Deadly dead. Someone shuts and locks that kitchen door, and while she's trying to get out, Jane pulls the doorknob free. <laughs> she rips that fucker right out. And I'm thinking, you know what? Might as well eat. That will think. <laughs> I mean, just because the housekeepers are dead and in the same room doesn't mean you're not hungry. <laughs> Jane gets on the phone. She's trying to get a hold of Doc Burton, and he answers, but he's in the office with Richard and Barbara, and he's trying not to let them know who he's talking to. So Burton lies to them, says, I haven't heard anything from Jane. And then as everybody's leaving, Burton gets his coat on, and he tells Barbara, oh, yeah, that was totally Jane, and I'm going to go to the country house. But don't tell Richard where I'm going, because I don't trust him. So immediate, you're, immediately you're like, the fuck, Doc? Seriously? I guess there were no HIPAA laws back in the 70s. <laughs> That's all I can figure. No HIPAA. So while Jane is in the kitchen. Oh, I forgot. Richard actually just went to his car and he follows Doc Burton to the country house. It's a very fine house in the country. Because Dick ain't no fool. 
So while Jane's in the kitchen, Old Blue Eyes opens the door and he tells her that she can't leave the cult. He says that his mother tried to leave the cult and look what happened to her. And he's holding the knife that killed her mother. And it's also the same one that Jane sort of killed Mary with. Circumstantially, um, was involved in the killing of Mary with. So they killed everybody in Jane's life that she cares about, apparently. And Old Blue Eyes tells her that she has gone past the borders of reality. She's crazy, but she has to stay in the cult. So fuck, this is like joining Amway. Yeah. So guess what Jane does? (laughs) She runs away. She runs! (laughs) Jane runs, Jane falls, doors are open, doors are locked, Jane collapses. Fuck! Then Jane finally makes it outside. Doc Burton's in the driveway in his car, he's honking the horn, cause his head is on the steering wheel, because his throat is slit. So now the doctor's dead, and that's when Jane starts hearing disembodied voices. You're just like your mother. You're always like, you can never leave, you can never leave. So guess what Jane does? <laughs> Runs away. Jane runs into the woods! <laughs> right into the stabbity hands of Old Blue Eyes. But someone actually attacks Old Blue Eyes from behind. It's Richard with the pitchfork in the forest. Stabs the dude in the back. And that's awesome. Which is a pretty spectacular feat given how Blue Eyes has moved around in this movie. He's like fucking Pepe Le Pew, man. <laughs> He's he's in five places at once. Seriously, just kind of loping behind Jane the whole time, sort of floating in the air. Yep, loop, but always loop, just loop. a step behind. Right. Richard notices um, that Old Blue Eyes has that same eye, eyeball tattoo that Jane has. So now Barbara comes home, and she's got a curtain in her house made of anal beads. She does. They're huge. They're yeah. I'd be like, I'm going to pull these out, but it's going to take about an hour. So if you want to grab a book or something while I'm doing this, you may want to. Barbara slips into something more comfortable, but Richard is waiting for her. He's hiding in the darkness in her sitting room. He's been to the castle, and she wants to fuck him so bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, but she also has the tattoo. She's part of it. He encourages her to leave Jane and and, and marry her. Women are catty. (laughs) You know, fuck me. Join our devil cult. You can be anything. You can have anyone. We can make that one actor go blind and you can have his role. It's, It's a good deal. But Richard shoots her instead. I don't blame him. I didn't like Barbara. Really? I liked looking at her. She's a bitch. Yeah, but she's... Well, there's that, but... Okay. Anyway, Richard shoots Barbara, and he opens the letter to Jane, which explains everything, apparently. That letter that he got and just threw away like mail. But he doesn't show it to the audience. He throws it onto Barbara's dying body and then walks away. Jane, And you're left going, what the fuck? Right. So, by this point, Jane's in the hospital, and a cop wants to talk to her, but the cop is actually the high priest of the cult. My God, this goes deeper than anyone could have imagined. (laughs) Richard sneaks into the room. Jane begs him to take her away. Of course, this is after she's been given a pretty hefty sedative. So Richard takes her away from the hospital and back home. 
and he leaves her on the ground floor to check the elevator. It's one of those old-style lifts with that kind of, like, gate instead of a door. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, oh, someone must have left the door open upstairs, and that's why the elevator won't come down. I'm going to go upstairs and uh, close that door and bring the elevator down. That'll teach you to touch things. So while he's upstairs, the lift comes down, but she can hear a struggle from upstairs, and someone screams, and Jane runs up there. One of the neighbor people come out of their room to see what's going on. What's all this then? Richard's been stabbed, and the knife is in Jane's hands. Did she kill him? Is he dead? What's real? Are you real? Am I real? I don't understand anything that's real anymore. And then the cops show up, and they're all cultists. (laughs) All of the cops. (laughs) So Jane's in the thick of it now. We get this flashback of the Black Mass with all the cultists shuffling about like they're at a Bauhaus tribute band show. It's just how we dance, man. Oh, it's a dream. Never mind. So back in the hospital where we were before, and the cops are there. Richard's alive. No one knows what's going on. Except the police have found out who the cultists are. So now it's time to explain everything. They've rounded up the coven. Why? (laughs) What reasons do we have? Oh, we find out that Barbara was the real mastermind behind the cult. She forced them to perform criminal acts. What? <laughs> and then the lawyer shows up to explain why he wanted to meet Jane at the in the first act of the film. Jane gets all of her mother's money. It's an inheritance. So this whole thing apparently was just a scheme to do crimes and get inheritance money. Now that Barbara's dead, Jane gets all of it. She doesn't have to split it. So is everyone happy? Maybe? Because we go back to the apartment building, and someone's left the door open on the elevator on a higher floor. Haven't we just seen this? Did this (laughs) not just happen? Right. So Jane is like, oh, fuck, I know what's going to happen. Calls for Richard to stop. And when he does, he's attacked by the high priest of the cult, who has not been apprehended by the police yet. He wants to kill Richard for killing Barbara. And he leaves the dagger on the steps. Now, at this point, the high priest looks just like Alan Rickman in Die Hard. He does. He's got that short uh, trench coat on and the chinos and got the hair and the goatee. Right. Looks just like him. So now it's time for probably the most boring rooftop chase I've ever seen in a film. (laughs) It's so boring, Jane is still carrying her purse while she's chasing the bad guy. So the high priest attacks Jane, tries to strangle her. He's got her kind of dangling over the edge of the building. But Richard punches him in the face, and he falls off the roof, which not only is just like Alan Rickman in Die Hard, (laughs) but it's also a dummy drop. Dummy drop. We do love our dummy drops here. Mm -hmm. So everybody's dead except for Jane and Richard. And Jane tells Richard that she knew that he killed Barbara. Just like she knew that he would be attacked upstairs. And she says, I don't know who I am anymore. Please help me. (laughs) And then the movie ends. (laughs) Literally right after she says that. Please help me. Please help me. Nope. Nope. Not happening. At least we don't see it. Yeah, but the look on Richard's face in that closing shot is just beautiful. Like, speaks volumes. He's like, the fuck? (laughs) <laughs> I have made a mistake by getting into this relationship. 
this is the last thing that I wanted to do with my life is take care of you because you're crazy. Yeah. Well, that's a lot to process. Yeah, no shit. No shit. You know, I wonder what Chef Al thinks of all this madness. I wonder what kind of food he'd prepare to go along with this movie. I wonder how many cults Chef Al has been in. I wonder what makes him tick. I wonder if he'd like to know what makes me tick. Pull up a chair, Acolytes. It's time for The Devil Eats Out, where fine dining meets the forces of darkness. You, you can have dinner with us. You like head cheese. My brother makes it real good. You like it. And you know what he said, too? Right bananas. You put them in a bowl and you put some sugar and you go ahead and bake it for 400. You can go ahead and pull it out and have yourself banana bread. Hallelujah. Pancakes. Pancakes. No pancakes. So, hey, Chef Al, you went out of your fucking mind with this movie, man. Yeah, yeah, I, I almost literally. Uh, <laughs> I, it, it's one of those things. I, I don't think I've ever watched a movie four times in preparation for something. Two of those four times were both uh, me watching them while coming down off of Ativan. <laughs> so I... Don't know if those count exactly. You were cause... so you were really in a place to empathize with Jane. Oh yeah, I think <laughs> I have resonated with her. So <laughs> it's almost like it's like one of those uh, animal rescue stories where like a, a human is there when some like abandoned duck chicks hatch, <laughs> and the little duck chicks like bond with the human. God. That's kind of how I feel like about Jane. <laughs> so She's... this is like fly away home for you. Kind of, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I was to go back to university and do a master's, I think that my thesis would be on uh, last nameless Jane. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Jane who has incredible cardio. Uh, no kidding. Because all she does is run. <laughs> Uh, I, so I was watching the film again this afternoon, and uh, my wife Naomi was uh, doing some work in her office and taking care of some things while I was watching it. But towards the end of the film, she kind of hollered out at me, "Is like, is is this movie just about somebody being sexually assaulted? Because all I hear is screaming." It's <laughs> 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 pretty like, close. Yeah, it's like I could see how you would think that. And kind of metaphorically, yeah, that's going on. But uh, Ed Reed should, like, really, you know, hold the Usain Bolt on this one. It was... Uh, yeah, yeah, just took Quite off. an endurance run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let me explain to our listeners what you've done here, and then we can kind of dive into it. Chef Al has prepared an entire luncheon based on all the colors of the dog. And it is amazing. I, I kind of went. I wanted to go like a bit more representative of the kind of stuff that I might serve in the in, in my restaurant. So I wanted to do a bit more of like a composed dish. But um, yeah, I was really taken with like all the sort of disparate elements in the film, and the uh, sort of sheer amount of distrust and elements of paranoia that were going on in it. So it, it's sort of an assembly of a bunch of different things that can almost be like their own dishes just by themselves and, and put them together in a way that would uh, create a bit of uh, a tension and sort of a, a color scheme that might kind of like represent some, some of the ickiness of the film, but at the same time being kind of pretty. It's very pretty. Pretty, but pretty. 
Yeah, it's very pretty. So, <laughs> sorry. So, mucho mistrust, once gone behind. That's what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> if you want to boil it down, no, so, yeah, that's, that, that, that's pretty much what I did. <laughs> All right, well, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to post all these recipes on the Kiss the Goat website, which is at kissthegoat.com. But I want to go through these recipes and just kind of talk about them because there's some stuff on here that I would never um, have dreamt of eating before in my life. Righto. So let's start off with the uh, – with, with, now, this is all on one – is this courses or this is all on one – one plate or vessel. No, I just yeah, I kind of I kind of imagine them all being assembled on one plate. Okay, okay, so you can get that one perfect bite of everything. Yeah, and there's enough disparity going on there that you can like take one item, pair it with another item, and it will be completely different from any of the other different combinations you come up. With. All right, and before we get into it, would you serve this with a glass of J and B? <laughs> Absolutely. Righto. And a body bag because holy fuck. <laughs> it can be served in a mini body bag. All right, so let's talk about this uh, this soup and it's an interesting I mean, we've all had potato soup, I'm sure, but this one has kind of a colorful twist. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's basically like a uh, a, a play on like a Vichy soir or a chilled potato soup, but I'm using blue potatoes for that, which are um, uh, it becomes sort of like the backbone for the entire plate, but largely because blue in this movie is uh, it's always showing up and it's always disturbing. Every shade, and, every single shade of blue shows up in this film. Yeah, and the from the uh, vitamin mixture. Mm-hmm. That uh, <laughs> I'll buy that from a pharmaceutical rep. Yeah, they're just vitamins. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about the fact they turn this weird Asian blue when I put it in your water glass. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's natural. Uh, <laughs> it's Curacao, right? They're just he's just getting their blitzed on. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, but that always seemed to be like, you know, like, and fuck you, M. Night Shyamalan, with your with your red. The blues in this are just so ominous and weird. Um, so I really wanted that to be the backbone of it. So uh, sort of starting off with something that's just basically kind of like mild, creamy, and blue. almost a neutral. And blue, exactly. So it's something that like, is going to taste really familiar, but the look of it is one of those, like blue foods, they're not very common. And they trigger sort of... Um, a, re- a natural revulsion image. Yeah, I'm having a bunch of time picturing blue potatoes for one thing. Um, okay, um, they're they're a thing, and uh, <laughs> they used to be really common in my neck of the woods. It used to be a really common uh, uh, dish that would be like boiled blue potatoes and salt cod. So uh, is it just the skin that's blue, or is the actual meat of the potato blue as well? The meat of the potato is blue, but, like, most of the dye, like, the naturally occurring dye is in the skins. Uh-huh. So if you find, if you can get your hands on some blue potatoes, and you just, like, say, peel them and boil them like you would any other potato, they'll just kind of maybe look a little bit more gray. But if you okay. cook them in the jackets, that color will, like, leach all the way through them. Okay. And, yeah, it can be, like, really, really vibrant. Um it's a little hit or miss. It's 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 a very restauranty thing to serve, 
because they can show off some, like, some big colors and look kind of spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, I think gray potatoes but, uh, are a lot less appetizing than blue potatoes, personally. Gray potatoes? So, yeah. yeah, so they can end up the looking little... a little bit gray, and I don't want that. Yeah, I, w- <laughs> I would go with the blue before the gray, absolutely. Yeah, gray and blue are both like colors that you don't necessarily associate with food, but blue at least looks like it's on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> It just kind of gives you the signal something went wrong. Yeah. It's like they cooked it in dishwater or something. Yeah, or left it out. Like, <laughs> there was a power failure. The fridge just died overnight. And uh, totally agree. Okay. So the whole purpose behind that is that it's just going to be like, it's, it's basically like a chilled potato soup with a whole lot of seasoning on purpose. Just so that it's, it's almost going to function as like a, a sauce or a dip. Okay. So it's just made a little bit tangy with some buttermilk and uh, some cream just to give it a little bit of, like, richness. So that serves as the backdrop for the black sesame and sunflower pate. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, which is like, one of my favorite. I have that on the uh, on, on my restaurant menu right now um, as sort of a vegetarian uh, dish that, we, that we've got on. And it's, it's dead simple. It's... Um, like a lot of the time when we think of like sesame kind of flavors, we think of like sesame oil, which is like really intense and really smoky. Um, but if you just get like, it's a fairly easy ingredient to get in a lot of Asian markets. And it basically looks like a tub of peanut butter, but it's pitch black. Um, black peanut yeah. butter. <laughs> <laughs> which was a Larry Cohen movie that never got... Uh, <laughs> But it, it kind of tastes like what peanut butter always wished it was going to grow up to be. It's like very, very rich, very, very nutty, um, just sort of naturally sweet. Now, should I eat this with strawberry preserves if I were just going to like make a sandwich? Oh, you could do it. Really? Yeah, you could do it. You might want to thin it a little bit because it's like very, very thick. Um, but yeah, actually with something like strawberries, pretty killer. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things I'm trying to sneak into as much stuff as possible. I make a really good ice cream out of it. Wow. So it it, it it takes the sweet stuff really, really well. Now, I've noticed that in this recipe you call for about half a pound of butter. So mm-hmm. you, you come down pretty strong on the butter side of, of things? I'm a fan of butter. I also am a fan of butter, so this pleases me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's really nothing else quite like it. Like, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's delicious. It's it does the perfect texture when it's like you know that slightly less than room temperature thing where it just melts perfectly and it's a great vehicle for carrying other flavors too while actually improving on uh, a, a lot of flavors that might not be so nice without it nice. okay so we have this pate and then we have uh, and this the ingredients for this just blow my mind we have wildflower mousse Mm. So this is one I've been cooking with a lot of flowers uh, the last couple of months. Um, I recently hooked myself up with a uh, with a someone who's doing foraging, and so I've had this like streamline of um, edible wild plants coming my way. And what what's great and kind of daunting about them is that the, the growing season on them is like so short. So you'll get all kinds of cool stuff for like two weeks, and then they're going to be gone. Right. So me being me, I like buy as much of it as I possibly can, and then I have to figure out ways uh, to make them stretch. So, uh, uh, so I've had this like stream of really nice tasting flowers that I don't just want to pick off the, the petals and throw them into salads. So um, 
I, I kind of adapted a way of uh, like a, an Acadian uh, way of preserving herbs by basically packing them in salt and the salt will drag out all the moisture inside and you can basically keep them forever. Um, so I've, I've made these, I have all these jars now of these uh, preserved uh, floral pieces. And it's one of these, it's, it's a technology that's almost like looking for a use, uh, a way to use them after the fact. So um, yeah, basically I've uh, kind of worked into this like gelatinized mousse of, uh, of these preserved petals uh, based on a, uh, a Middle Eastern drink that's uh, called salab, which is uh, basically, it's almost like a tea that's made of the starchy part of the orchid uh, root. And it, it kind of comes off like as a kind of a creamy herbal tea. So I've basically been uh, fortifying that with a gelling agent. I use agar just so that I can make it uh, uh, like vegan if I have to. And uh, taking some of these preserved flower petals and working that into it. And it takes on these really nice like creamy white with these beautiful colors like wrapped up inside of it. Um, so it kind of comes off sort of sweet, like floral things tend to present themselves on your in your mouth as sweet but they're not necessarily actually like sugary sweet hmm. so it's um large like in the west especially because we essentially uh we generally associate floral things with like soap yeah perfumes and things like that so there's a lot of association there that's that's my problem with eating or drinking anything that has florals in it because i'm just like immediately my brain is like you're eating soap <laughs> yeah exactly uh, and, I mean, there's been a lot of studies done on that, too, that, like, the, the way you're influenced on tasting uh, those kind of aromatics is largely influenced by the, the medium that you've experienced them the first time. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, like a lot of lavenders and stuff like that. Like, lavender is used a lot in just, like, even making, like, regular, like, crusty bread in parts of France. But we're used to, like, flavoring soap with it or, you know, air fresheners and that kind of a stuff. Yeah. So if the first time you had cilantro was in the shower, <laughs> then it's going to taste like soap to you. Mm-hmm. Okay, I understand this now. <laughs> One of my big motivators in life is just, like, short-circuiting my own brain. So uh, I'm constantly trying to rewire myself on <laughs> how I think and maybe sometimes I inflict my customers with my experiments. I respect that. Hmm. But, you know, you also do get, like, flower seeds that come off almost like nuts, right? Like, yeah. Sunflower seeds, you don't really think of those as coming off as floral. So um, I often try to, like, kind of pair those sort of things together. So it's sort of a continuity that um, can make kind of make sense. That's that cool. Makes sense. Yeah. So let's move on to the uh, salad portion of this lunch, which is uh, hazelnut and apple salad. Mm. Um, so that, that's basically just like a, a really slow, uh, slow cooking way of um, caramelizing hazelnuts and then uh, just adding some tart apples to it in the end, basically mm. like in a 50 kind of ratio. And this is the sort of thing you can throw that on anything. Like if uh, that's just like an item you can keep in your fridge and it's actually really good on like, I don't know, like leftover pork sandwich or something like that, or just throwing it in a green salad. It's... Uh, but it's one of those like really nice, like high contrast, uh, crunchy and sweet, creamy with a bit of tartness kind of a thing. Um, specifically, great to me. It, yeah, it's really nice to have. I mean, it, it's almost like an ideal thing to like put on top of a pork chop or something like that. Um, kind of for the purposes of this, I want to give a shout out to uh, uh, Mr. Jim Moon of the uh, Hypnagoria podcast. He's uh, also a, uh, a regular on the Black Dog podcast. He's, he's a brilliant uh, like British folklorist 
um, and genre film aficionado. Um, I, I contacted him looking for some, one of the things I wanted to do with this was uh, the sort of the forces that are like pulling at Jane in, uh, in this film. You, you have uh, the sort of the spiritual, religious, matrimonial, friendship, but there's also the um, uh, sort of psychological and intellectual that are sort of tearing her apart. Mm-hmm. And while it's an Italian film, it is set in London. So I kind of wanted to uh, try to grab some British folkloric stuff. So I threw a thing out to Jim to ask him about what like foods that might represent the intellect and the higher thought process in, in British folklore. And apples were the only thing I could come up with. Then he gave he provided me with a lot of uh, literature uh, regarding hazelnuts. And then putting those two together is like one of the direct lines that led me to wanting to incorporate that in the dish. So how cool! Uh, That's very yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. I, I I think it works with Jiali uh, to have. Uh, <laughs> Bag metaphorical <laughs> representation <laughs> <laughs> you can pick up on if you choose to. <laughs> so if you're just trying to do this like really quickly, it could just be like J and B and Nutella. Mm. <laughs> There's a cocktail in that, my friend. Oh, <laughs> not for me. <laughs> Shit. All right, well, hat tip to Jim Moon. That's very cool. Egg yolk. Now, it's interesting to me because the way that you are preparing these egg yolks, you say it takes about one to two hours. What? Mm-hmm. So this is, a, <laughs> this is a cooking technique that's been around uh, since the late 1970s, um, really kind of caught fire in the mid-1990s. Uh, a lot of people call it uh, sous vide, uh, which is French for under vacuum. A uh, more accurate way is to describe it as controlled temperature cooking. And to kind of describe it in a mathematical way is, uh, well, actually a mathematical PhD candidate described, uh, posed the question of what's the ideal temperature to serve food at, and or rather, what's the ideal temperature to cook food at, and the answer he came up with was at the temperature you, um, you want it to come out at at the end. So the basic logic behind it is, is that rather than cooking something really hot for a short period of time, you cook something at its ideal temperature for a very long period. Of time, hmm. and there's some fairly specialized equipment that will let you do this. Um, in the recipe that I that I sent you guys, uh, I, I referenced a piece of equipment called an immersion circulator, which is basically like a water pump with a uh, uh, with a with a coil heater attached to it with a really hyper accurate uh, thermostat. So it will generally these sort of things will heat like 10 gallons of water completely accurately to like a percentage of a degree uh, Fahrenheit or centigrade. So you can control exactly the temperature that something is poaching in that bath. So uh-huh. rather than, yeah, so what happens, like eggs are kind of like one of the premium things that uh, people cook with like this. So if you cook at the, the, the temperature range that I kind of quoted at like 63 and a half degrees Celsius, it's enough to pasteurize the egg and cook it, but the yolks will come out to be almost like a custard. So they're not runny at all, but they're mm-hmm. also not exactly solid. Okay. That sounds really good. That's like a big commitment for making an egg, though. <laughs> yeah, but the beautiful thing is you can't really overcook them. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like if you wake up in the morning and you throw a bunch of eggs into this thing and it's up to temperature, you can go about having a couple cups of coffee, uh, use the washroom, check out the news, and you, you really don't have to worry about it. Or you can even like throw them in the night before. Okay. And then the next day, it's going to be essentially the same. 
Hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, it, yeah, it's it, it's traditionally been sort of a restauranty thing, but these immersion circulators have kind of hit the, uh, the mass market now. And uh, what the type of device that used to cost, like uh, the first one I bought was $800, and that was about 10 years ago. And now you can get um, fairly serviceable units for like around 200 and hmm. the price, that's only going to go down. So, <clears throat> yeah, thermostats are your friend. All right, then. Think better and better. Now let's talk about these pickled wild mushrooms. And before Avocado, mm. I have a, first of all, you have created a lunch that my wife will eat in a heartbeat. <laughs> this is everything, everything that she loves. If I can get past the blue potatoes, I'll be doing good, I think. <laughs> and that's purely visual. Yes, it is, exactly. So for the pickled wild mushrooms, um, and since you've been dealing with, you know, foraging, how can you tell the difference between a mushroom that's wonderful and delicious and one that will kill your ass dead? I can't, and that's why I hire somebody to do it. Okay, and you know what? Right that's answer. fair. That is a great right answer, answer, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't. I, I make it a habit of tasting everything before I serve it to any other people, which is kind of crazy because I am insured up to a million dollars. So why am I taking that risk? That's also a good question. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> there's there's some that are like relatively safe from like just physical appearance, like I, the, the sort of the the honeycomb shaped ones, the morels. They're pretty unique. You don't really have to worry about any kind of like copycat toxic versions of those. Uh, one of the most prized wild mushrooms is one called a chanterelle that unfortunately has a deadly cousin called a false chanterelle <laughs> that uh, uh, something about the shape of the cap and the way it uh, kind of arcs upwards is a telltale sign that you should not eat it. You know, the, so, the chanterelles are one of my favorite 50s doo-wop groups. <laughs> 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 Their career was cut short when uh, they had a terrible neurological uh, issue and their kidneys shut unexpectedly. Oh boy. <laughs> Why do fools eat wild shrooms? Um, <laughs> so, for the pickling on this, I think a lot of people, when they think of pickling, they're thinking of cucumbers and they're thinking of, I don't know, dill, mustard seed, things like that. And you don't have anything like that in this recipe. No, I, I keep it really, really simple uh, for this purpose because there's a lot of other flavors going on. Um, it's one of those things like this is one of the uh, sort of the great myths that uh, I hear a lot uh, with the rise of like food TV and things like this um, of tasting and seasoning every single element of a dish. Um, and it's one of those things that like when I was in cooking school, I did. And for the first few years professionally, I did. But it's one thing to like perfectly season an in individual element of something that you're playing and combining with other things. And that's, that's all well and good if you're only serving that one thing. But sometimes if you're putting a bunch of different things together, if each one of them is individually perfect, it's going to hose the entire dish. So sometimes you want to keep things a little bit more neutral so that you have some room for other, other elements to bounce off of each other. I get so, that. Yeah, because like if one thing is like perfectly salty, and you put it with like something else that's perfectly salty, then you wind up too much salt. <laughs> too much salt, like no contrast, mm -hmm. right? So this is so, a sweeter pickle. This is a sweeter pickle. Okay. I mean, it's it's got a little bit of a kick from the red wine that I use in it, and pretty much the only pickling juice in it is like vinegar, red wine, a bit of salt, and a bit of sugar, and that way it, 
like that's going to be just enough acids to preserve the stuff um, and to give it a good texture. But then if you need to take it in a different direction for whatever you want to use it for, you can customize it beyond that. But if I was to say like throw in a lot of cloves and allspice, garlic in it, you're kind of committed to what you're going to be using it for. And I kind of like to leave myself a little bit open-ended with with a lot of these kind of pantry items. That is fascinating to me. Excuse me. Ah, should have talked better than that. This is amazing. Like I said, all these recipes will be on the Kiss to Get website. Um, and before we do anything else, what do you think about the movie, Al? I mean, you watched it four times. Certainly, mm-hmm. I, I, certainly, you've gotten I, I, some kind of insight into this mad little flick. I loved. Like I had seen it many, many years ago. Like I, I honestly, I think my folks brought me back like a, a terrible VHS copy that was probably dubious from its source <laughs> when uh, when I went on a shopping excursion to New Hampshire or something like that like I remember it's like being in junior high they would be like going you know to going to Kittering or something like that to look for you know cookware and cheap sheets and I would give them a list of like here are movies that you should look for me ah uh, yes that <laughs> hotbed of Italian horror Kettering New Hampshire <laughs> Compare it to Canada, buddy. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. But, uh, 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 but uh, so yeah, I had like fond memories of it, and I kind of know Margaretti's stuff, uh, kind of by reputation. Um, but uh, yeah, I was totally taken with it. Uh, it's not the style is not um, as like over the top as an Argento. Uh, it's also it doesn't have quite the like brooding, uh, technicolor gothic of a bava, but it kind of like sits in between the two. But it does a lot of like really interesting filmic things without necessarily calling attention to itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I find Jane a real, like obviously I have an enormous crush on her. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she's such a compelling character because you just, you're dropped into her story without like any sense of her backstory. You yeah, you it. only get hints of it. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just like a woman who is like at her wits end as you begin it. And it's, uh, I don't know, it just rings very, very true to me that she's like kind of caught in this situation where she has to choose. Well, eventually she has to choose between all of this terrible patriarchal bullshit. And it's just kind of like what flavor of patriarchal bullshit does she want to have to deal with? Um, She's just manipulated from one side or the other and like denied agency from everyone around her. And it, it, it almost seems in some respects, I can see people seeing it as a bit of a cheap uh, cheat that it kind of comes down to like a money plot. Yeah. But at the same time, it's kind of perfect that like all of this gross exercise uh, exercise of like exerting power on this person is just to make a buck mm-hmm. yeah. and having having that nest egg would be the one thing that would give her agency in that shitty world that she was in <laughs> and that thing that everyone is making a concerted effort to make sure that she doesn't have <laughs> <laughs> they all deserve it more than she for some reason right it's for some reason yeah 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 um so I mean, so in some respects she's a bit of a cipher but she's also like a, a really empathetic cipher um, I also really love the way it plays with the, the sort of like what you see with Italian films of like the waking nightmare yeah that initial dream sequence is so obviously a dream sequence. Fuck, I hope. 
<laughs> Jesus. It's either, it's either that or Tuesday. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's that old woman in the fairy waves looked like a fucking Ren and Stimpy character. Yeah. Oh and my I, God. I say, like, with all the dental work I've been having, that mouth, <laughs> not necessarily appreciated. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess it gave me a bit of, like, it could have been worse, but, uh, but they set up like what the nightmare is going to look like so starkly, like right from the get go, that it becomes very, very effective as the film goes on. And that sort of border between uh, nightmare and reality is almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Like they set up this kind of clear boundary of what's what's real and what's imagination and then like slowly work them together, uh, which is a really, really nice touch. Agreed. Very much yep. so agreed. <laughs> All right. This is the time when you talk about your restaurant and what's going on currently at at Picnic. So pimp away, my friend. Righto. So uh, Picnic, we're in the uh, summer silly season. We've got a show on right now. Uh, it's actually one of the menus I'm most happy with since we opened over a year ago. Um, so it's a uh, we we have a show, a really fantastic show that's uh, a group show of artists that are that um, they're doing work inspired by a, a tour through Iceland. Ooh. <laughs> which is it's pretty like we have our very brief canadian summer and we have all this icelandic imagery <laughs> and it should be bothering me but it's actually really really good uh so the menu is kind of like uh coming out of that and i'm actually very very pleased with how everything's uh come out and been perceived uh so that's going to be wrapping up in a little bit and i'm not entirely sure what we're moving on to next but um, I'm thinking of doing some kind of kitschy dog days of summer stuff. And my birthday is coming up towards the end of August. And I'm planning on throwing a birthday block party, first year anniversary party for all of us. So. Nice. Oh, I wish we could make it. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, let's Patreon that shit. Yes. <laughs> Fundraiser, Syndex and Cootie to Nova Scotia. Because we want to, <laughs> we want to see the stark minimalist Icelandic artwork and go to your birthday party. I think those are exactly. reasonable requests. Fuck yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, man. We're uh, we appreciate your insight and this amazing menu that you've put together for this one movie. That's just crazy. <laughs> crazy. Oh, yeah. You just gotta hit me at the right time. <laughs> Which is apparently after a great deal of dental surgery. So. Yeah, funny enough about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, man. We'll hit you up on the next episode. Sounds good. Thanks for everything. Thanks, Al. Always, man. All right. Catch you guys later. Catch you. All right. Bye-bye. All right, we'll uh, we'll be back in a minute with Act Three of Kiss the Goat. It's the lightning round where the scores really add up. Bad movies. The world is full of them. From low-budget crap fests to downright unwatchable. And only two men are willing to watch them all. So climb in and take your seat. This is Short Bus Cinema. Let's do it. Hey everyone, this is Johnny Krug from Kruger Nation. And this is Rick Morgan from the Helming Power Hour. And we have decided to team up and take you where no one has gone before. We're on a quest to find the world's worst movie, and we're doing it on the bus. 
driving through cult classics in every genre to find the holy grail of bad movies. So if you're looking for something different and more fun than you can stand, then climb on in. Short Bus Cinema is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. That's right, yo! Short Bus Cinema. We'd love to watch the movies you hate. Welcome back to Kisden Note, where it's time for the fastest movie breakdown on the internet. Three questions! Three questions! Stop! Who would crush the bridge of death must answer me these questions three? Question number one. Is All the Colors of the Dark a devil movie? No. Nope! (laughs) It plays out like it's gonna be, and then it never is. It never culminates to that, no. I mean, sure, you've got this satanic-ish cult-like group that, you know, drinks blood and drops acid and fucks a lot, but that's as far as it gets. Yeah. Like, there's not even really any occult symbols other than that fucking eyeball in the pyramid thing and that's more illuminati than satanism which uh, i guess there's spade on that but i don't know it's kind of satan's cheerleaders say well yeah kind of so i don't know satan's cheerleaders was better oh well yeah okay so yes all the colors of the dark not a devil movie not a devil movie but wants to be real bad what yes it wanted to be really bad didn't it didn't quite make it Uh, But question two, why should our listeners watch All the Colors of the Dark, or should they? Nudity. Yeah. That's about the only reason. There's nudity, and you should watch that if you like naked people. That's really the only reason I can think of. (laughs) Oh, God, it's not that bad. Yeah, but it's not that great. But there is nudity. There's a lot of nudity, which helps. Yeah, Yeah, it does, definitely. Finally, on a scale of one to six, how many horns high do you give all the colors of the dark? Meh, I give it a two. What? I know, sorry. Just didn't really really thrill me all that much. It was disjointed. The the plot seemed, it was slow in the beginning, and then they were just like, oh, fuck, we got to tie together some ends there in the third act to actually make this thing make some semblance of sense. And really, for me, the only thing that it had going for it was, uh, what's her face? Ed, Ed which, the, or however you say her name. Edwige. Yes. Edwige Fenach. I'm, I'm going to give it a four and a half. Oh, yeah? It's disjointed because we're looking at it from Jane's point of view, and she is inherently disjointed. Um, Again, there's nudity, and George Hilton with the worst blue contact lenses I've ever seen in my life. That's kind of impressive. So, yeah, I'm going to roll a four and a half on it. Mm -hmm. All right, that's fair. Um, Well, I don't know about anybody else, but personally, I had a roaring buzz going when I watched this movie, and it really helped. So, in the interest of public service, we would like to help you get ripped from stern to stern, too. Uh, It's time for Drinking with the Devil, where your love of bad movies meets your disdain for your own liver. Drink! Every time Jane runs... That's a lot. Drink every time Jane begs Richard not to leave her alone. 
<laughs> Drink! Every time you think, those aren't his real eyes. Those are the worst contacts that have ever been created for a film ever. Those are terrible. <laughs> Drink! Every time you think Mary and Jane are going to make out. Nice. Also, drink whenever there's nudity. And there is a lot of nudity. There is. (laughs) And finally, our Grandmaster Challenge. Drink every time Jane says she's going crazy. (laughs) This is a rough game. I mean... (laughs) There's some there's some harsh challenges here. There is, guys. <laughs> but remember that we here at Kiss the Goat absolutely do not condone underage drinking or alcohol abuse. However, they have always, always worked, worked for, for us. us. All right, let's get into the interactive portion of this show here. Folks, it's time for America's favorite game of questioning and answering. Ask the Goat, where we answer your questions and you question our answers. I'll send you a love letter. Straight from my heart, fucker. You know what a love letter is? It's a bullet from a fucking gun, fucker. You receive a love letter from me, you're fucked forever. As my high priestess Cootie rummages through the malevolent mailbag... Rummage, rummage, rummage. Let us remind you that you can always send your questions into Ask the Goat, and there are three, count them, three ways to do it. Number one, join our Facebook group, which is a group on Facebook, where people who use Facebook and also listen to Kiss the Goat group together on a Facebook page on Facebook. Number two, you can leave us a voicemail on the Goat Line, 24-7-365. Give us a call at 865-309-4969. That's 865-309-4969 for the GOAT line. Or number three, you can send us an email at thegoatofmadness at gmail.com. We are so open and accessible. Right? Well, except when we're not. And that really has a lot to do with our first question, which is from Court Psyops. Court asks, where have you been? (laughs) (laughs) oh boy uh well court it's like this we started a new show we started a podcast called the food chain which is all about animal attack movies and nature run amok things like that so we've been really kind of pushing to get a lot of those episodes in the can and then we release them every two weeks we're just trying to we're trying to get ahead so during the course of that KTG kind of fell by the wayside, but we're getting to a point now where the food chain's getting pretty pretty well caught up, and we're ready to get KTG back into um, a regular production schedule. So, yeah, there should be um, a lot more KTG in the future for you. Hell yeah. Plus, you know, it's new and shiny, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, this is stuff we haven't really been paying much attention to or focusing much energy on, and... But rest assured, our love of the devil movies and everything that comes with it is still there, and it's still strong. So Absolutely. Court also wants to know if he has KTG abandonment issues. Uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, shit, I have KTG abandonment issues, and I'm the fucking co-host. <clears throat> I know. Right. Sorry, Court. We love you. Uh, but he does have another question. Court says, um, speaking of abandonment issues, <laughs> he says, how can I combine Helling Satan with a good cardio workout? Run through the woods. <laughs> and your go-go boots. And your, yes, Court, and we want pictures. 
swear to God, pictures of Court running through the woods in go-go boots. That's on my that's that's on my wish list there you now. Go. There you go. Got to make that happen. Um, also, run on a treadmill backwards. I'd probably do it. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. That's not, what, like a black mass or anything, but. And try to talk backwards while you're running backwards. Yeah, exactly. When someone says, "Why are you running backwards?" Just be like, mm-hmm. Which I don't, "Perfect." I don't know what what that means. Um, our next question is from Rolf Pickler. He asks, "This is this is a long question, so be be cool." <laughs> it's a sultry summer night in the hidden tunnels of an unnamed yet notorious pizza parlor. The tunnels lead to a chamber with a pentagram altar surrounded by candles from Bed Bath and Beyond. The heady, intoxicating scent of organized, multi-generational, satanic cult activity lingers in the air. In walks X, a cordial of brandy in hand. He reclines invitingly upon the pentagram altar. Can you show us on the doll what happens next? Cootie, you want to you take this one? On the doll? Show us on the doll what happened next. Okay. Well, Cootie, wearing her... Beautiful, blood-red ritual robe leans over and pulls out a wooden box from under the altar. What's in the box? On it is engraved these arcane symbols, and you can tell that it is worn and stained with oil and blood from decades of use. And you know that something special is in this box, and she proceeds to pull out... A handful of really sharp fucking pins and stabs the doll in 20 different places and says, that's what fucking happens to the doll. I am so hard right now. <laughs> I, I'm just going to listen to that over and over. That was that was intense. Right. So our next couple of questions are from Joe Petrozilio. <laughs> Joe P. asks, Alec Jones says he wears a sport coat and Rolex to infiltrate Satanism. Thoughts? What the fuck did you expect him to wear? Like, I don't know, like a pentagram bikini? That would be amazing. Alex Jones in a pentagram bikini? God. Yeah, but only if he waxes. Start with his back. His follow-up to that is also regarding Jones. With him shilling his nonsense as remedies for globalism, does this qualify as a subset of evangelism? Evangelism? Evangelism. That word. No. It counts as (laughs) proselytizing, but it does not count as evangelism. Mm. Serious answer. Fuck all (laughs) y'all. Boom. X-dropping the truth bombs. Here's another question from Rolf. What modernish devil slash satanic slash exorcism movie do you think has the potential to fuel a satanic panic, much like The Exorcist did in its day? Besides The Conjuring franchise, with its frumpy, pearl clutching, Ed and Lorraine Warren fuckery. I don't think there's been one yet, Rolf. Everybody's too desensitized to this shit. We're all dead inside. We're all. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with this segment. This has just gone off the rails. I think The Last Exorcism could have, if it had been a bigger hit. And the reason I say that is because um, it shows 
religious exorcism to be a fraud, and in the end, Satan very obviously wins. So I think if it had been a bigger hit and people hadn't given it so much shit for its ending, then that one would have had a shot. But also, the sequel is horrible. I mean, first of all, last ex- this the last exorcism. Oh, here's part two. No, fuck yeah. you. That's like the never-ending story. It ended. Kiss my ass. Yep. <laughs> Kiss my fucking ass. So, yeah. But I think beyond that, Cootie's right. We're all dead inside and nobody cares about that anymore. We're far too busy trying to keep trans people from pissing in, in you know, public restrooms to really – And joining the military. Yeah, to really worry about the devil, so – yeah, I don't know. I think it was it was close enough with, like you said, with its mockery of of uh, modern Christianity. But I don't know if it took it far enough, and the marketing wasn't right for it either. It didn't draw enough attention, so it pretty much just got ignored. Which is so sad. I love that movie so much. I love that movie too. It was great. We've actually covered the last exorcism on this show. Go back through our archives to kissthegoat.com or Legion podcasts to listen to our last exorcism episode. It's one of my favorites. Oh yeah, it was a good one. Um, so our next question is from a first time caller named Erica Lee, who wants to know what is your awesome psychedelic theme song? Erica, our awesome psychedelic theme song is actually two songs combined. Um, the majority of it is a song called 12 O'Clock Satanial by a band called Air. And part of it is from um, Black Mass by Coven. Mm-hmm. 70s stuff, um, early, late 60s, early 70s stuff. Um, these are not things that we own, so we are invoking the Fair Use Act on all of this. But, yeah, that's some crazy music. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, I know what to do with that. <laughs> so... But yeah, and he is a maestro with the mixing. So yeah, so th- Good. thanks, thanks for noticing that. That's that's really one of my favorite songs ever. Check it out, Twelve O'clock Satanial by Air. Um, you can find it on YouTube, by the way. So nice. check it out. Our next question is from Chuck Nike. Chuck, get better, dude. Yeah, dude, we love you. We hope you're doing well. Chuck says, "I'm confused." <laughs> so are we. Along with the band Queen, I too want it all. However, DMX says that X gonna give it to me, but Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars say that Uptown Funk gonna give it to me. Who's gonna give it to me? What is it? And do I really want it? Please help me, my priest and priestess. You know, Chuck, I think the problem here is... Well, uh, it wouldn't be Ask the Goat without a voicemail from our buddy over at The Good, The Bad, and The Cheesy. It's the Angry Ginger himself, Matt Tangen. Hey, guys. This is Matt the Angry Ginger from The Bad, The Weird, and The Cheesy podcast. And I got a question for you. If you folks were a teacher at Hogwarts, what subject would you teach? What would we teach at Hogwarts? Um, Bartending. No, seriously. Like, that's a life skill. Every kid needs to know how to mix drinks before they go, before they become of age and legal. Is there like a magical trade school that teaches that? I mean, do they have to go to Hogwarts? That seems like heavy tuition for bartending. 
well, I'm just thinking maybe that should be like a an elective course, you know? It's not necessarily going to be on their owls, but <laughs> it should be an elective, you know? You know? Let's get your magical. Let's get your magical bartending license. Yes. Why not? What are, what what spells would you use for magical bartending? Let's see. Uh, there would be Maximo Margaritas. <laughs> Tequila Patronus? Tequila, yes. <laughs> Tequila Patronum! <laughs> yeah, and like I said, you know, Accio Rum. That's, There's got to be some good other good ones in there. Good. I don't know. That's all good. That's, that's got to, that's got my vote, though. Oh, jeez. I don't know. I guess I would teach defense against the light arts. <sighs> yeah? Like, I don't know, like against televangelism, maybe? Oh, perfect. How to defend yourself against proselytizing. Yes, yes, exactly that. Exactly that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Stipend- well, guys- It'd be like Stipendo Josh McDowell. <laughs> oh, wow. Expelliarmus Dobson. Dobson. <laughs> Uh, I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Kiss the Goat. How about somebody, anybody, give all the Colors of the Dark a decent Region 1 Blu-ray release, huh? Like Scream Factory, Arrow, Severin, Synapse, Criterion, anybody, anybody listening. Thanks to Bo at Legion Podcast for keeping us going. Hey, buy some Legion shirts. Shit, I need to buy some Legion shirts. Somebody buy us Legion shirts. And don't forget to check out all of Chef Al's recipes over at kissthegoat.com. We've got an entire meal based on all the colors of the dark. Now, who would have thought that? And as always, thanks to you guys for listening. Check out our new show, The Food Chain, which is all about animal attack movies. It's also right here on Legion Podcasts. The circle is open. The show is over. You can go and pee now. Whoa, whoa. Wait a second. Hold on. We didn't play Matt's full voicemail. There's there's more to it. Now, just do it next week. We're almost at the end of the show. Oh, that's cool. Just take a minute. Oh, and also, I found this weird fleshy book, and I thought it has some cool poetry in it. I thought I might read you a bit of it. Seems like something you guys would like. goes something like, Conda Estrata Demontos E. Egrets Nosferatus Conda Demontos Conda. I mean, it's kind of interesting stuff. Um, yeah, something weird going on. I, maybe there was more to this book than I thought, so I'm gonna have to get going. Uh, um, yeah, go ahead. Have a great day, guys. Bye. Ah, shit! Why did you play that? No. I thought it was going to be something that didn't summon Kandarian demons. Well, you were wrong, weren't you? It's a good thing we've got fucking Rinner's insurance. Look out for those vines. They're raping. <laughs> Just close the show. Uh, until next time, I'm a half a chef out. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Hail No, Satan. no, don't hail Satan. Don't hail Satan. Not now. Okay, uh, hail Bruce Campbell. Hail Chainsaws. There you go.